Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Average to Elite podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Lowe, and today we're looking at hydration strategies for optimal performance. So water is very much the forgotten nutrient. So as athletes, we're always focusing on carbohydrate intake, protein intake, fat, fiber, micronutrients, and even within that, those subcategories like nutrient timing, carbohydrate periodization, and all that kind of really, really good and important stuff for, again, taking performance to the next level. But we always kind of forget about water. Like it just seems to be this passive thing and just something we generally just do and not really take uh, too much care or consideration surrounding it. Um, so if I had an athlete come to me and say like, Chris, uh, Losey, uh, my you know, my physical performance isn't quite where it needs to be. I'm fading quickly, I'm getting tired losing that spring in my step, things just feel harder, my weight and perceived exertions higher. Um, you know, I just feel like I'm on the back foot there a little bit. Same with like my mental performance. You know, I feel a little bit sluggish, um, you know, not quite as mentally engaged and switched on. And I know like, what, what should I do? Like what's going on? The first two things I look at is carbohydrate availability. So are you consuming enough carbohydrate through your diet? So you have enough carbohydrates in the muscle and the liver to support moderate to high intensity based performance, i.e. most sports. And the second thing I look at is hydration. Like, are you essentially operating in a hydrated state or are you hydrated state? Um, and then we kind of look at all the other kind of uh, stuff that could impact it. But they're the first two priorities I'll always go to as a little bit of a, a checklist. And then, you know, if we need to explore further, we explore further. But when it comes to water or fluid intake, when we talk about these world-class basics, like I don't think we can get more fundamental than drinking water. It's almost like breathing air. You know, it's just something that we just naturally do. But we can certainly be far more mindful surrounding the, the actual impact hydration has on performance and uh, you know how we can make it more specific to us so we can operate on a much, much, much higher level so when we think of hydration just to kind of set the scene um it's going to be mostly surrounding looking at you know just sweat rates and dehydration and offsetting um water loss so before we kind of go further in terms of some consequences and stuff like that let's just kind of look at what why we sweat um so when we start mood round whether that's just going for a gentle kind of run, whether it's going for a full-on kind of session in the gym, whether it's uh, team training, whether it's actual race or competition games, you know, muscle contraction happens uh, and core temperature increases. So with our body temperature increasing, you know, we have this increased thermal strain. So to prevent your body from overheating, you will then lose water because our water loss then is going to draw that heat away and we lose our heat via evaporation. Because we lose a lot of water via sweat, our total body water will decrease. And this is how essentially dehydration happens. So if we end up losing two liters and we haven't put enough in, then we have a, you know, a net loss of two liters. And that is going to be us considered to be in a hypohydrated or dehydrated state. Now, we know that when we're thinking of optimizing performance, it's basically just trying to stay as close to baseline as possible. So when we're doing anything hard, exhaustive, and strenuous, 
we have these like extreme homeostatic disturbances. So we lose water, we lose carbohydrate stores, become dehydrated, depleted. We have lots of metabolic byproducts like hydrogen ions, lactate, all this kind of stuff. Uh, and essentially all we're trying to do to optimize performance from a nutrition perspective is try and keep you um, up towards that baseline as best as possible. So today's kind of like general pod conversation is going to be around by how can we stay as close as possible to that baseline. So as we're going into the kind of summer months now where temperature is increasing and in some uh, places, humidity is going to increase quite significantly as well. You know, sweat rates are going to get much, much, much higher. So this now becomes a greater level of importance and priority. Like it's always incredibly important, but now it's just a little bit more important than say the winter months and, and stuff like that, where sweat rates are perhaps a little bit lower albeit still quite high, but lower than what they are in the summer months. So when we think of some consequences, so in the literature it's generally considered that 2% dehydration um, can impair performance. Now there's going to be many outliers out there. So, you know, as cliche as it sounds, everyone's different. There's a lot of inter individual variability here, but on average, Losing 2% of body mass loss can impair both physical and mental performance. 2% is basically, um, if you're 80 kilos, that's 1.6 kilos of loss. If you're 90 kilos, that's 1.8. 70 kilos, 1.4. 100 kilos, 2 kilos, etc. Basically, 1 kilo is 1 liter. So if you lose 1 kilo or 1.5 kilos in a session, you've lost one liter or 1.5 liters of fluid, i.e. water. And again, sweat rates on an hourly basis in some individuals, some large individuals in hot and you know humid environments can be three, 3.5, four liters per hour, okay? It could be very, very high. Um, so therefore, we just got to appreciate that, you know, there is a lot of variability here, uh, but on average, 2% seems to be like a consistent kind of uh, theme in the in the research okay so let's just use this as a general kind of starting point and like everything we work as a starting point and then we individualize we generalize then we individualize so we know that dehydration of two percent and above can increase cardiovascular strain so why does this happen so we think when we sweat we lose water so therefore your blood plasma will decrease uh, if it decreases, then your blood pressure will decrease. So your heart then has to work harder, has to beat faster and pump more blood around the body to maintain that same blood pressure. So at the same like relative intensity, your work, your heart has to work harder just to maintain your blood pressure because you've lost too much water um, via sweat. So therefore, you know, if you're just doing like a, so endurance athletes will know this straight away when you're measuring like uh, effort intensity based on your heart rate. You know, if you're dehydrated, um, you your heart rate will just be much higher at your normal kind of lower intensity. Like, oh, why is my heart rate so high today? It could just be a case of dehydration setting in, okay? So essentially we have increased cardiovascular strain. Um, as I mentioned, core temperature will increase. As a result then, thermal strain and fatigue sets in. Your rating or perceived exertion will definitely increase because everything just feels a little bit harder at lower intensities. 
Uh, and as mentioned, then last point, heart rate will increase as a byproduct of all of that. So dehydration of 2% and above can decrease cognition, your mental focus, your skill level, uh, aerobic capacity, because again, because the cardiovascular strain, strength and power. So what we always got to appreciate is that the brain and the periphery are, I periphery being muscle, are always connected and communicating, always talking to, get to her, one another. So if there's like, again, that extreme homeostatic disturbances happening on the, the muscle periphery kind of level, then that's going to send a signal to the brain. And that's where, um, you know, that's where cognition tends to go south a little bit. So mental focus, uh, decision-making, reaction time, all that kind of stuff. So basically the further south of this kind of you hydrated baseline we go from, worse things are going to happen. Initially is just uh, performs that kind of drops off. But as you push down into greater uh, amounts of body mass loss via water, I 5%, you have further difficulties concentrating. If it goes down to 10%, this is where you have muscle spasms and you become delirious. 15% then, um, this is where you have circulatory failure and death. So ultimately, the more dehydrated you become, it goes from performance impacted into health impacted, impacted and in some cases, very, very impacted, right? So water is absolutely critical for life. So we absolutely need it. Um, and there is, um, as I'll kind of touch later, there is an issue with having too much water as well. I water intoxication, water overload, and uh, potential kind of fatalities off the back as well, as you may see in some um, marathon runners in the desert and stuff like that, when they just basically uh, water load a little bit too much uh, during the event itself. So but I'll cover that in, in a second. So what we need to appreciate as well is uh, accumulation of dehydration. So we're not just looking at the impact of dehydration in one session, but how does that affect performance on the next session, and then the next session, and then the next? Now, let's just um, run with this idea that 2% loss in body mass for dehydration is going to affect performance. If you start a session one of the week in a hydrated state, in a eu-hydrated state, um, and during our session one, you lose, you know, maybe 1 1.5, 1 1.6, 1 1.7, 1.8% of your body weight. So you sweat quite a lot, but you haven't hit the 2% cutoff. No dramas, no bothers, performance is fine. Now, when we drink the thirst, we don't typically consume enough, consume enough fluid and become fully rehydrated in preparation for the next session. So... What kind of research kind of shows uh, and kind of points to is we put in about 70% of your fluid intake that you lose when you're just drinking a thirst. So therefore, you might in that first session almost get that 2% cut off, but I mean, you don't get fully back up to baseline. You may get back up to like 0.5% level of dehydration. Then you enter session two. Then now you're starting in a little bit more of a dehydrated state and closer to that 2% cutoff. Now, in that second session, you drop, you surpass that 2% cutoff. But, but you know, you may just dip into it for five, 10 minutes or something. So again, not, not a huge biggie. 
But then the next set, but after that session, you only put 70% of the fluid intake back in. And then that third session of the day or week, you're now starting at minus 1% dehydration. And then halfway through that session or competition or event, you hit that 2% cutoff and so on and so on and so on. And then by the time you get to the fifth or sixth session, um, you know, you're starting in a very dehydrated state and you're pretty much on that 2% cutoff anyway. And that's where, you know, large amounts of um, performance detriments can happen. So we have this kind of accumulation throughout the course of the week. So all we're trying to do again is meet the body's demands. If you lose two liters, you put two liters back in. If you lose three, you put three back in. One, you put one back in. So we're always trying to stay as close to that baseline as possible. And again, sometimes this isn't like just logistically realistic to do. Like if you're losing three, 3.5, four liters per hour, you're not going to be able to get that much fluid in. No chance. Um, like just drinking that much. Imagine just sitting down like on the sofa, drinking four liters of water in an hour. You're just probably not, probably just not going to be able to do it. Like don't try um, because it won't be great. Um, but you know, logistically, it's just very, very difficult to do. So that you've got kind of one challenge there uh, to do, uh, to kind of consider. The second one as well is like, you probably won't be able to absorb all that fluid uh, in the space of that hour because they're just going to slosh around there massively and cause a lot of gastrointestinal issues. Yes, we can train the gut, which is quite cool. Just like you train the gut to absorb more carbohydrates, you could do the same thing with water. Um, but what we're trying to get at here is, you know, all we're trying to do through exercise is try and offset fluid loss as best as possible. So you stay as close to that baseline um, to, again, just support um, both physical and mental performance. And the closer you stay to that baseline, it then offsets the urgency for rehydration after. So same thing with the carbohydrate uh, side of things. Your fueling is recovery and recovery is your fueling. Same thing with the hydration. If you can offset dehydration, then we need to put less fluid in after to stay to, uh, close to that baseline. And again, this is more important when sweat rates are high during hot and humid conditions, and you have a lot of sessions or events in close proximity. So let's think about some daily amounts, some daily requirements. So there's quite a lot of recommendations going around here. You kind of got the very straightforward one that most of us will do. And we just kind of drink the thirst, which to be honest, like under normal temperate environments and conditions at rest, I know exercises, you know, you're probably going to, yeah, you're probably going to be pretty close. Um, it's actually quite a nice one. Like personally, I will just drink the thirst. Uh, and to be honest, I get quite a lot of my athletes uh, who are on rest days and stuff like that, just to drink the thirst. But then when, again, we have more of a performance focus in certain phases of our week, this is where we're going to start measuring things. So what I like to do then is use uh, the recommendation of 30 milliliters per kilo per day as a kind of like a baseline kind of rest, uh, rest kind of rest day requirements. So if you're 80 kilos, that's 2,400 milliliters of fluid. 2.4 liters probably doesn't sound like that much. Um, but this is kind of before we account for any exercise or anything like that. And again, this would be under like normal temperate, temperate kind of uh, environments, right? So what we do then is we just take into account the amount of fluid you lose on an hourly basis through exercise. So this is just um, a really nice, simple and non-invasive way uh, to do this. 
Um, so basically, all we're going to do is grab a set of scales and you're going to weigh yourself before session and after a session. It's as simple as that, really. Um, so what, what we're going to look at then is for any kind of session, really, whether it's a gym session, whether it's a uh, bike session, running session, a team session, you, you kind of name it. Um, it's going to be applicable for, for all of these. So all you do then is jump on a scale before you start. Um, say, for example, you are 82 kilos. And then you jump on a scale after and you're 80 kilos. So therefore, you've lost two kilos in that session. Now, when we look at fluid, one kilo is one liter. So if two kilos, that's two liters. So in that session, you lost two liters of fluid via sweat. Unfortunately, this is not... Uh, body fat loss because uh, two kilos of fat is uh, excess of like 14, 15,000 calories. And you definitely didn't burn that in your 60 minute gym session, you know? So, and again, I can, I, I see this all the time for it's like more of a commercial gym, like people just jump on a scale before and after. Uh, and I guarantee they're not measuring their sweat rates. They're looking at how much body fat they lost. Unfortunately, um, fat loss isn't that rapid. Um, so the basically, Long story short, the weight that you lose is via fluid, right? And so what we need to do then is take into account the amount of fluid you consumed during our session too. So say, for example, you consumed a fluid, uh, sorry, one liter of fluid in that session. You actually ended up losing three liters in total, but you've already replaced one of those lost liters uh, or kilos during a session via your drinks, right? So... This is essentially all we do, you know, as they always say, test, don't guess. Um, you know, it's a really straightforward strategy. Just take the scales with you, way before, way after, see what the difference is. And then that will be then your prescribed fluid intake for the next session. So it could be as very much as straightforward as that. So if you say lose two liters, then and it's a two hour session, then that's one liter per hour because you're going to try and use that drip feed analogy. So I can use, always think of like, if I was in hospital, I was hooked up to a drip and it's a constant infusion of water and electrolytes and stuff. That's the kind of idea we want to look at. You don't want to get to, you know, hour and a half into that two hour session. Like, oh, I haven't really drank anything. Then you neck that 1.5 liters to catch up. It's probably not going to sit very well. Um, and you're going to feel pretty terrible. So what we look to do is just try and drip feed. So every kind of 10 minutes, get some water on board. Every 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever logistically kind of works best with you. But the idea is that we kind of drip feed uh, throughout. Now, a couple of considerations here. So these fluids requirements you got in that session is going to be specific to that session, environment, temperature, all that kind of stuff. So we need to take into account the type of session, is it a gym session, is it a game, is it a bike session, is that an indoor bike session, is it an outdoor bike session, all that running session on the treadmill, is it outdoors, you know, is it like up a mountain, is it on flat, we need to take into account those kind of considerations. We also need to look at the intensity, are you sprinting, are you jogging, are you doing a deload week in the gym, or are you maxing out, all these little things are going to be important climate is a hot or cold even if it's cold say for example in the winter months you can put on quite a few layers and you create this microclimate so it might be cold outside but you're actually sweating quite a lot inside 
are you like say American footballer where you're going to be playing in the heat in in the summer, but then you have all your pads on, you have your helmet on, all that kind of stuff. So you're creating this microclimate inside of like a larger, hotter climate, and your sweat rates could be again, yeah, three to four liters per hour. It could be huge. Um, and then yeah, just looking at sort of the the clothing side of it as well. So you know, are you wearing a vest? Are you wearing shorts? Are you wearing trousers? All this kind of stuff is really, really important to acknowledge. So what you basically do, um, and I know the endurance guys would probably like this because they love data. Well, most of them love data. Um, is basically just make a spreadsheet of, you know, pre, um, pre-session body weight, post-session body weight, how much fluid did you consume? Uh, was the intensity of the session? Was the duration? all this kind of stuff. And now you kind of get this database of how much sweat you typically lose. Um, so you might sort of build this database over the course of two, three weeks. And then you can start predicting how much fluid you may need uh, for future events. So say, for example, like two weeks ago, if you were, and it was like, say, 20 degrees outside, and you did, I don't know, a bike session that was two hours and you lost X amount of fluid. And then you go on an event on the weekend. It's like, oh, it's going to be like 21, 22 degrees. Um, oh, I'm just going to reflect back at the data I collected a couple of weeks ago because it's going to be the same intensity, same conditions. Then I can start to prescribe my fluid intake better and therefore I can stay as close to that baseline as possible. Or, you know, again, that keyword there, as close as, as, close as possible. Because if you're going to drop a lot of fluid, uh, if you're going to sweat a lot during those sessions, say, for example, it is like 1.5 liters per hour, it's like, okay, what's the most I can get in without me feeling absolutely terrible? It might be 700 mil power, might be 500, might be a liter. You know, you start to kind of put these uh, things together and do a lot of trial and error because um, that is going to be absolutely key. Um, if you didn't want to do any of that I, and you're just like, right, Chris, just give me some recommendations. I'll just work with that. I will typically go off three milliliters per kilo every 30 minutes. So if you're 80 kilos, that's 240 mil every 30 minutes. So roughly 500 mil per hour. That's a general kind of recommendations. But again, since we have the ability to weigh pre and post and it's not difficult to do, you just take the scales with you. Um, I'd much rather be more specific with this instead of uh, generic, okay? And one of the things we need to consider as well as like I touched on before is that there is such a thing as like, Overhydrating, so you might have um, seen this term come up called hyponatremia. It basically means low blood sodium levels. And so basically, it's just water intoxication, like water overload. So you'll see this happen um, sometimes with, say, like a marathon runner, like a novice marathon runner who runs very, very slowly. Um, you know, sweat rates aren't overly that high because the intensity is so low. They're basically kind of walking. But then after every kind of, you know, feeding station, they're just necking loads and loads and loads of water, not putting any salt back in, just loads of water. Uh, And especially like after as well, because they need to rehydrate and they end up putting far more water in than they lose. And what happens then is that they basically dilute their blood sodium levels so by definition, then hyponatremia is a potentially fatal condition of cell swelling, uh, particularly in the brain. It's clinically defined as a serum sodium concentration of under 135 millimoles per liter. And then symptoms include 
when it's less mild, headache, fatigue, nausea, and then in more severe instances, seizures, deaths. So essentially it's death by water intoxication. And again, you do need some quite specific circumstances for this to happen, some specific conditions, should I say. Uh, it's very, very rare, but you, you do see it happen, especially when like just water intake is absolutely through the roof and they end up putting on putting on body weight throughout the event itself. Now we're looking at trying to offset um fluid losses where in this scenario where they're actually putting in too much water so you know um you know too much of a good thing can be pretty fatal at the same time so it could potentially be through like excessive sodium losses through high sweat rates but you know it's more down to the excessive hydration or rehydration through hypertonic drinks hypertonic being just just water and therefore the dilution of uh, plasma sodium so Again, um, you know, too much of a good thing uh, is not necessarily going to be ideal for performance and health. Again, what we need to do is just focus on just meeting the body's demands as best as possible. So just to touch on a couple of types of drinks, I, I just mentioned hypertonic there. So you typically have these kind of three drinks uh, thrown around, uh, hypertonic sports drinks, isotonic sports drinks, and hypertonic sports drinks. So I'm just going to give a brief definition of each one. So hypertonic sports drinks have a lower tonicity than blood plasma, often have very few carbohydrates and considered to be an electrolyte drink as a typically under 6% solution. So this is basically uh, your water, perhaps with an electrolyte tablet thrown into it. And typically then you'll have quite high uh, levels of absorption. So rates of absorption being quite high. Then you've got your isotonic sports drinks, these are things like your Luke's Ace Sports, your Gatorade, your Powerade type thing. So have the same tonicity as blood plasma um, and are typically a 6% to 8% solution. So that kind of yields around 30 grams of carbohydrates per 500 ml of fluid. And they typically have a little bit more sodium in there as well. So approximately 450 milligrams of sodium per liter. Um, and then because their tonicity uh, is different, or sorry, is the same between the blood and the uh, gut absorption is just a little bit, a uh, little bit slower. So if you think of uh, back to like, I guess, GCSE biology, uh, you kind of got these concentration gradients. So if the blood has more solution than say the gut, um, you know, the absorption rates are going to be a little bit faster to normalize um, normalize the kind of solution, the concentration between the gut and the blood. If it's an isotonic sports drink and the you know, tonicity is the same, the concentration is the same, um, you know, absorption rates are going to be a little bit slower than that. And then you've got your hypertonic sports drink that have a higher tonicity than blood plasma. Uh, and they're typically like a 10% solution offering a high amount of carbs, approximately 50 grams for 500 ml. So therefore, um, there's more concentration in the gut than in the blood. And therefore, you have even slower rates of absorption so hypertonic sports drinks are not going to be ideal when um when you're exercising during activities and stuff either you go for hypertonic or an isotonic sports drink they are going to be absolutely key and obviously the carbohydrate amount in that then is going to be dependent on uh the overall duration and intensity of the event as well so hypertonic sports drinks being better post from like recovery perspective because uh, absorption rates 
are going to be a lot, lot slower and therefore water retention is going to be better as well. So just to touch on the rehydration side of things, when I mentioned that generally um, athletes, when they drink the thirst from a rehydration purpose, purpose uh, they only really put about 70% of fluid in on average, again, on average, because everyone is different. But what the research shows to optimally uh, rehydrate in the space of a few hours post, uh, we need to play the 150% rule. So whatever you lose in kilos in that session, you need to times by 1.5. So if you lose, so going back to that same example before, uh, if that's what that athlete, that 82 kilo athlete who dropped down to 80, who lost two liters, uh, they need to then put in three liters post. So two liters times 1.5, three liters, and then they're going to consume that over the course of four to six hours. Again, in that kind of, drip feeding type fashion. Because again, if they put all the kind of fluid back in, that might affect overall water retention because they just need to go to the toilet and pee it out uh, pretty quickly. And obviously then, as I mentioned, there is an element or a slight risk of hyponatremia if they're just putting in water post. But as we know, the three hours of recovery, repair, replenish, rehydrate, we're going to be getting carbohydrates in there. We're going to be getting some protein in there. Um, and if you're having it through kind of, um, say, for example, milk, uh, you're going to be getting electrolytes in there as well. So you kind of typically tick the boxes quite nicely uh, with regards to that. So long story short, play the 150% rule after each session. Um, and then you prevent that accumulation of dehydration happening throughout the, throughout the course of the week. And this is where you're perhaps looking at those um, hypertonic solutions like milk is a hypertonic solution uh etc and then just like uh just a kind of a question to ask like am i hydrated how how do i know um so it's quite a nice kind of um i guess kind of a crude way you can sort of analyze this is basically um you basically just have this uh, Venn diagram. So Venn diagram are basically those kind of three circles that overlap. And then in the middle, then you have like all these uh, circles overlapping, then you have like a likely, very likely score and stuff like that. So the three things we can kind of look at, so weight, urine, and thirst. And then each one of those circles, you've got WT and U for weight, uh, urine, and, and thirst. Um, so if your weight is down the, the following day, you know, it's likely that you're going to be dehydrated, but, you know, it might just be, you know, food in your gut or less food in your gut and all that kind of stuff. So it's not very likely, it's not definitive, but it's perhaps quite likely. Your urine color, as we've probably seen all those charts, if the chart is a, uh, I don't know, numbered one to seven, number one being clear, two being very pale, and then going six, seven is brownie kind of gold. So if, um, you know, your kind of pee in the morning is brownie kind of gold, probably quite uh, dehydrated, but there's perhaps other things that can influence the color of your urine. Uh, perhaps if you have like a Barocca or a multivitamin or something like that, uh, you can have some quite uh, vibrant urine, which could affect things as well. So again, it's not that you're very likely and it's not conclusive. It might just mean that you're likely and then your thirst perception, you know, are you thirsty? Um, you know, again, in isolation, like 
it might mean that you're it's likely that you're dehydrated, but not very likely because it could just be other things kind of compounding that as well. Um, and interesting, just to touch on thirst, just the perception of thirst can uh, decrease performance, even if you're not dehydrated. Um, you know, just the perception of thirst, because you might just think like, oh, I am dehydrated and therefore affect performance. This kind of nocebo effect, like the opposite of a placebo. Um so again, it might just be worth just from like a, a sporting context, just a drip feed fluid anyway, even if it's just small amounts to decrease that perception uh, of thirst. So that's just like a nice little framework you, you can do. W-U-T, uh, weight urine and thirst, you know, don't take one uh, in isolation, put them all three together, and then you kind of have like uh, a better kind of idea of where you are with everything. So I guess if I was to kind of conclude from this, it's basically just don't rely on thirst when training and competition demands are high. Um, Thirst-driven fluid intake usually isn't adequate, especially in uh, hot and humid climates. Uh, so therefore, we're just looking to monitor and don't guess. And since it is pretty straightforward to do, you're just taking your body weights pre and post, um, you know, it's quite accessible for, for everyone. I uh, just appreciate that uh, if you don't like weighing yourself this may not be the the best strategy for you i if you're if the scale numbers um can affect you from a performance perspective um you know maybe don't opt for this strategy but for most uh for many this is a, a good approach to take for monitoring over uh hydration hydration strategies and again with, with that kind of weighing yourself pre and post when you do it for one session and you put down like the the intensity, the type of session, the um, climate, the conditions, all that kind of stuff. You know, you don't typically have to do that again unless you really want to just increase the kind of reliability and validity of those results. You can just kind of do it for a pocket of like a number of sessions um, of different kind of modalities or intensities. And then you kind of got like a plug and play kind of approach or even if it just helps you uh, be more mindful of your fluid intake, it's like, oh, okay, on a turbo session indoors versus outdoors, I sweat so much more. So I'm just going to prioritize more fluid intake during these rides or pre-hydrate going into it uh, and so on. So guys, I hope um, that was helpful from a hydration perspective. Any questions, queries, as always, just please reach out and please let me know. Uh, best place to get hold of me is Instagram DMs. So at Crystal Nutrition or the Athlete Nutrition Coach. And uh, yeah, anything I can help you with, always here to um, support you as best I can. So just reach out and let me know. But until next time, uh, goodbye.